This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie. I'm Danielle. And welcome back to our little roundtable discussion of film and everything relating to film. How's it going, Danielle? Incredibly well. No, it's not. It's a nightmare. (laughs) It's a nightmare every (laughs) week. (laughs) Like every week, I just feel like, yep. All right. Like I've been sleeping on on my heating pad. Okay. And I got a blister on my back because I just fell asleep on it and like probably just, you know, like my pajamas slid up or something. But I'm like, that's all right. Like, that's just what happens now because my back is a knot of anxiety. Do you not have an auto shut off on your heating pad? We turn we turn off the auto shut off. This is an anxiety ridden time. I need all the heat you can give me. I mean, now I'll use it. No two hour jam. We need no. all night long. We need to keep I'm like burn this bed up. <laughs> Like, if I have to light myself on fire to get rid of my back knots, I will do it. <laughs> so wait a minute. You have a legit blister on your back? I was in the shower and I like kind of reached on my back and I was like, hmm, that feels like feathery. <gasps> you know, like how blisters feel like a little light and feathery. Oh, so I looked yeah. in the mirror and I was like, yep, disgusting. Right on time. Right on time with being hideous. And it's small. It's not like. Okay. Horrible. It's not like the size of the heating pad. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would be disturbing. Because you know what? I got to tell you, you you were the biggest influence for me to upgrade my heating pad. Because I remember I was using one of those like little rinky dink uh, uh-huh. CBS ones. I truly had a moment where I was like, I deserve a better heating pad. And I yes. went out and bought the one you told me to buy. And it is fantastic. That is the jam. Well, your birthday is coming up. Well, it's coming up in a couple months. And guess what? We're going to upgrade you again. I'm just going to tell you right now, your birthday present, full body heating pad. Wait a minute. You mean like an electric blanket? Is that what you mean? No. What do you mean? <laughs> What's a like, full yeah, body heating pad? It's legit like a piece of almost like mattress style foam that is a heat. It's all heated from top to bottom. You can lay on it back, front, whatever you want. Wait a minute. I know. I'm going to keep upgrading this heat mechanisms until we are 95 years old. <laughs> wait a minute. So wait, explain. So it's basically like a memory foam mattress that's heated. Or it's more like um like a weighted blanket almost. Ah. But it's like shaped like a body. It's coming. You're going to you're going to figure it out real quick cuz this is where we are right now where I'm like I need Lena Dunham levels of heat. <laughs> coursing through. I read some article where she's like, I have a copper full-sized heating pad. And I'm like, okay, that's a that's a level of richness to aspire to. But in the meantime, I can just get a regular full body heating pad, right? <laughs> I actually just got into heating pads in my 40s. Okay. Yeah. Which to some is too long to have lived without a heating pad. Because 
I just never thought about it. I mean, I've had like cramps from my period and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I'm fine. I'll roll with it. I'll just like take a couple Advil and be done with it. And then I finally got one from CVS, the shitty one, the $14 one. And I was like, it really was like a game changer. I mean, look, we get what we can afford and we run with it for as long as we can. But then we got to fly. We got to fly. <laughs> also, we were both raised by either immigrants or old people. No one's letting us run up an electric bill with a heating pad. That's not the move I at know, all. That's right. <laughs> like, like, they don't even want to turn on the air conditioning. So it's For like... Real. <laughs> If it you was think anyone in our lives was going to be like, you know what? You need to be more comfortable. They're like, oh, you have cramps. I had cramps when I was in labor with you for 95 days. And you're like, God, calm down. I just have a sore muscle. This, you can be comfortable as long as it's of zero cost to me. Completely. If it doesn't get in my way or if it doesn't cost me a goddamn dime, by all means. Do it completely. Yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> oh yeah, my grandma. When I had cramps when I was a teen, and I had like horrible cramps. Like my grandma would just be like, um, "Have some toast and a cup of tea and go to school." Yeah, and I'm like, exactly. I am like dropping clots. I'm like fucking doubled over, and she's like, "I don't give a fuck. Put on this belt with a maxi pad and go to school." Yeah. I can't. She wouldn't buy me Advil. She wouldn't. She wouldn't even buy me tampons. She's like, I'm only buying maxi pads. If you want tampons, use your job money to get tampons. Well, I, you know, tampons were a huge ordeal when we were growing up, too, because there was always like the after school special that talked about mm -hmm. toxic shock syndrome. I think that we were told that if you had a tampon in for longer than eight hours, was it over eight hours? Then you yes. were maybe going to grow some bacteria that was going to maybe kill you. Exactly. But I was just like terrified of that. And and I feel like nobody really talks about that anymore. And I'm like, did that oh, just go away or at what? all? Well, here's here's the thing. Like, I did you ever call that number on the back of the box that was like, if you have toxic shock syndrome, call <laughs> blank, 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 because I did. I had like I was looking through the symptoms on the paper, by the way, this is pre-internet. Yeah. And I'm looking at the paper and it's like, here's signs of toxic shock syndrome. And I had like a little bit of a rash on my ankles. And I was like, fuck, like, this is it. I, th this is it. I'm dying. I'm dead. So I called the number and I was like weeping. And I'm like, I think I have toxic shock syndrome. And this God. really nice lady, this is like early 20s. And because I didn't start using tampon stalls in my 20s. I had to literally move out of my house before I was allowed to move. I had to pay rent before I was allowed to use a tampon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I called and this very nice woman was like, um, it doesn't sound like you have it. If you're really worried, you can go to the hospital. And I'm like, I can't go to the hospital. I can't afford a hospital. What? I called the number back three times. She talked me down from the ledge like all night. I thought I had it. What I did have was poison oak. Oh, but my I God. Thought I had toxic shock syndrome. <laughs> and this poor woman had to talk me down as if I didn't think I was going to wake up if I went to bed. And she was like, I think you're going to be all right. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be all right. I was a mess. I was a mess. Oh, my God. So you're telling me that a rash is part of toxic shock. And it you can, can be and that rash can appear anywhere on your body. So it could it could be on your ankles. Technically, that's the thing. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I'm sure it's all like vagina and reproductive system related 
Oh, gotcha. But I thought for sure a rash on my ankle means I'm dying because I've been using tampons for two months. See, now you've entered it in my head that I'm like, here's another (laughs) thing. Here's another thing to sit up at night about. Another one. (laughs) Oh, my God. Just what I thought. This was over. It's actually still around and we just don't know it. It's like an, it's like a silent killer again. Oh my God. Oh God. Well, now we can look it up. Now, th- now we can look up the symptoms and be like, what is it? Do I have this shit or not? You can take it to Twitter. Twitter will tell you in a heartbeat whether or not oh, you have sure. toxic syndrome. <laughs> but I do think it's gone like the way of the dodo. Like, I don't even think people worried about it anymore. Yeah. I wonder, I, I actually did cross my mind like a while ago, like a few years ago. I was like, huh. I remember toxic shock syndrome, TSS. I remember TSS was, was a pretty big fear of mine when I was growing up. And it just seems like it's gone away. I wonder what happened to that old TSS. It's like, oh, TSS, they used to have that back in the wagon wheel days with Laura Ingalls and typhoid. Like, how does it just disappear from the conversation? Listen, when it comes down to it, I mean, I talk about being Catholic a lot on this podcast and about just how badly educated i was with anything to do with sex sexual organs stuff like that Mm -hmm. i mean my mom gave me the basic information but then there wasn't like i couldn't come back to her and be like i have this irrational fear of something i heard about in school what do you think she's just like what are you talking about right exactly Um, so in my mind the timeline for period stuff was like i just missed the belt period. So the Judy yes. Bloom, like, are you there, goddess me, Margaret period? And then TSS. So I've just been like kind of scarred by it all. <laughs> Completely. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the revolutions that have happened around menstrual products is, in, is insane. Remember when like it was a big deal that the pads went thin? Yes. That was a shocker. I use a Diva Cup now, but don't even think you could have gotten me in a Diva Cup when I was 18. There's no way. There wasn't even wings when, when no. we were first starting out. Like they, yeah, we didn't have evolved. wings. Yeah, <laughs> we're pre-wing. That's basically <laughs> like the belt to millennials and Gen Z. We're like our pads didn't have wings, and they're like, "Oh my god, you lived in 1885." <laughs> I'm not a belt. <laughs> not yet a wing. I don't know how that song goes. <laughs> oh my god, I love this. The other thing that I wanted to to bring up this week, because um, I had a snack earlier. Why do cracker boxes still put suggestions on there of what to do with the cracker? Like put a tomato and a piece of, and it's always got an herb, like put some rosemary and tomato and turkey and a slice of Swiss. And I'm like, I 100% know what I'm going to do with this cracker. And it's going to be jamming it into my face bare. <laughs> like, could you not use this space for something more important? Like, can you not print the bill of rights on the side of the cracker box? <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, shit, they could do so much with a box these days. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, they can get some like really, really good copywriter in there and write like poems like somebody, you know, somebody to go in there and write like cracker poems. I mean, <laughs> cracker poems could take on so many levels. Yeah. But let's trade tra- Trader Joe's this stuff up. Like, you know, Trader Joe's, their, their grocery bags are like a tome. It's like the first part of War and Peace. Let's just get something else going on these these boxes besides serving suggestions like Ritz, calm down. We all know what's happening here. Yeah, because that's OK. So at this point, 
now I'm actually kind of sad. So do recipes on packaging, those are just kind of like, now they just seem like a weird formality because they don't really know what to do with it. Is anybody clipping recipes from a Ritz box anymore? I mean, it's like, if you just go to the Ritz website, there's probably a shit ton of things you can download, you know? And it just feels like that's such an old school thing that Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't need to happen anymore. At all. But also like... Now I'm just sad that you can't do it. Do I want that taken away now? You don't want it, though. You don't use it. You don't need it. And here's the other thing. You don't want it. You can be sad for the moment. Let it pass, though, because you don't you know what to do with a cracker. And here's the other thing. So let's say it's our grandparents who used to clip the recipes from the back of the the box. Either if they don't want to use the website, either they can't take another recipe into their brain or they already know what to do with crackers because they're fucking 80. Like literally nobody needs this. (laughs) I mean, the most annoying ones are quite frankly, the ones that are on plastic. So like if you, if you buy like a bag of egg noodles and there's a recipe on the back, it's like, come on, like who's going to clip this plastic (laughs) and put it, in between the pages of an old like Betty Crocker cookbook or who's going to put that in a recipe box? Like, you know, it's impractical. And at this point, people would just take a picture. If they really needed an egg noodle recipe from the back of the package, they would just take a picture of it and be done with it. So it's just that thing. They act like we're going to transcribe it onto a scroll. <laughs> like nobody cares, dude. Put something else there. Talk about like the history of soybeans or something. Like talk about literally anything. Okay, now see now it's funny because I was kind of with you at first and now I'm like, do I just feel bad for these recipes now? What am I feeling? Cause if no one really needs them, either right. that we've ate we've already like aged out of the era where we would need them. And the people who remember that from back in the day are old enough to know what to do. Then, yeah, you're right. We don't really need them. But why do I want them? Because I feel bad for them. This is fucking crazy. Catholic guilt. You got Catholic (laughs) guilt for crackers, girl. (laughs) Get me out here having Catholic guilt for crackers. Can I tell you a real quick story about, um, this is a similar concept as as one we just talked about. So, You know, the old farmer's almanac that you can see at the grocery store. Okay, now I've always been fascinated with those things. And that thing has been around for 300, 400 years or something. It's some crazy shit like that. And it's basically this like old publication that they put out a certain number of times a year that's supposed to give like all of the information you need to like grow crops and mm-hmm. it was for farmers and it was and it also just kind of gives like other kind of like folksy info you know it tells you a little bit about the stars and the eclipses and it's just kind of got that stuff but it's very charming and so i of course was at the grocery store and i was like this shit's like seven bucks let me pick one up what's the, i can just like thumb through it and it'll make me feel good that i finally bought one And I noticed that at the top of the almanac, they have a hole that's punched into the corner. And and so I was like, what's up with this hole? So I went online and I Googled it. And apparently it's it was for people to put on a nail. So back in the day, you could hang your almanac in like a place where you could, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe when you go to like a gas station and you see like one of those like things that have car information it's just like hanging so people can reference it right or your fridge at home and you're just like fuck it and you just pound a nail into the freezer door (laughs) (laughs) and you're like this is my almanac spot 
So after a while in the modern era, they were like, you know what? Maybe we should stop making this hole because we've had it for so long. But now we don't even really need the hole because the Internet happened, too. And apparently it cost them like 40 grand a year or something to to drill holes in these almanacs. One of my favorite things about you is that you will look that up. You will research that. If you're like, what's up with this hole in the farmer's, farmer's almanac? You'll be like, let me tell you what's up with this hole. Because I have looked it up. I'm bringing Aries energy to this. So, okay. You're saying let's get rid of recipes on the back of boxes. Right. The almanac was like, you know what? Let's get rid of this stupid hole. It's costing us money to do this <laughs> hole. And what happened? They took the hole away and people went fucking apeshit. They were like, no, no I can't believe this almanac doesn't have a hole. I don't even give a shit if I use the hole. The <laughs> fact that there's not the hole here is a fucking nightmare. And I am writing my congressperson. This has to stop. <laughs> so what do they do? They put the whole fucking back in the book. And that's what happened. Oh, my God. Like, OK, we'll give you your whole back. But now an almanac costs forty five dollars. <laughs> I was like, well, you're, you're going to pay for that hole. You want it because you're you're <laughs> sad that the hole isn't there anymore. You're sad that we've evolved past the hole. But now you got to pay for the hole. Also, at this point, when you open the farmer's almanac, it's like each page is a page that says H T T P slash slash colon W W W dot farmers almanac dot com. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're just referencing their own website. Completely. Like, the hard copy exists to reference their much more up-to-date and user-friendly website. But, So what do you think then? Are you saying get rid of the recipes? Mm -hmm. Do you believe that there will be a backlash? First of all, do you think people will notice? That's, I guess, my first question. Here's the thing. I feel about taking recipes off the back of cracker boxes. I feel the same way about that that I do about our current government. Let's get rid of it and see what fucking happens. But we're not going to make progress until we try. We will not move forward as a nation until we just try to get rid of these recipes and just try to move forward in a way that makes more sense in our lives. Let's just give common sense a whirl and see what happens. I mean, I'm going to tell you, you might be talking to the wrong bitch about this because I work (laughs) I work in a place, as you know, where there's a lot of older people. And they like things a certain way. And I got to tell you, one little move and people start losing their shit. So oh, yeah. are you prepared? You're, this is your platform. You want to take the recipes off of boxes. You want it to go quietly in the night. You don't want to make a big scene about it. Right. I'm assuming. Unless you feel like there needs to be a statement. Oh, no statement. I think you take them off and then in four years, people will be like, well, didn't they used to have recipes? And we'll be like, yeah, they were so unimportant to you that it took you four years to notice. We're not bringing them back. See, I, I want to believe that is true, but I think I just know better at this point. Somebody is the minute they buy a rice a or something. Yeah. They're going to be like, wait a minute. What happened to this uh, peel off surprise? recipe that i always read when i'm making this shit and now it's not there and now there's a poem back here i gotta call somebody (laughs) 
<laughs> Here's what we do. We replace every recipe with a label from Dr. Bronner's. <laughs> and we're like, look, if you need something to read, dig the fuck in. Because this homie is on one. Get somebody who just wants to cover every square inch. Like, there is no corner untouched on this box. We're just going to put some manifesto back here. And maybe people won't realize that there's not a recipe. <laughs> exactly. Like, you open the box, it's on the package. You look inside, it's inside the box. Yo, like, but we are filling you. <laughs> Yeah, but I got to get real, too, by the way. There are recipes on that Dr. Bronner's bottle. I know. To make, like, soap and, you know, shit like that. So I guess that's the essential question. Is the recipe inherent to a text on a product? Right. Can we live without it? Uh, here's what I would make me, make me happy, I think. Let's start with crackers. <laughs> and then we'll move our way up to rice Velveeta. Let's just start with a thing that we 100% do not need input on and just see how it goes. Don't tell anybody. Just pick up the box and be like, oh, it's crack pictures of Ritz crackers on the front, pictures of Ritz crackers on the back. Solid. I do not need to be told to put a tomato on this. I'm just going to do it or not. Do you think we should do it random selection? Like we should put all of the companies and all of the products in a big giant top hat. Mm -hmm. and have a sexy lady pull from the hat and then whoever's company comes up is like you're the one that's been chosen no more recipes for you let's test this theory oyster crackers you've had your day we all know we're just gonna throw you on some soup we don't need all this prego buckle up bitch it's your day it's your day oh god so we actually have a mailbag this week. Um, Lauren, do you care to read? Shannon writes, so my favorite movie in the whole world is Jurassic Park, and I regularly subject my fiance to watching it with me. He also thinks it's a great movie, but is maybe not as into it as I am. This has created an argument between us, though, that I'm hoping you ladies can finally put to rest and tell him he's crazy. The argument is what genre you would put it under. I am under the opinion that it could go in horror, science fiction, or thriller. My fiance, however, firmly believes it's historical. I just can't even with that answer. <laughs> Do you want me to read the rest? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm literally okay. just like thinking about that and laughing. So continue. <laughs> I've tried explaining to him why that's crazy, but he won't listen. So I was hoping you ladies could talk some sense into him or maybe tell me how it could possibly make sense and apologize to him. I'm happy either way. Oh, Shannon, this is the greatest question. Thank you for this email. I love that this is the kind of topic that you guys have with each other. This just is like, it sounds like you guys have a, a good foundation. That's all I'll say. I... <laughs> I love that this question exists. It's like a philosophical question or something. Uh, and I also just love discussing the taxonomy of films. Like I love like the thought experiments of that. You know, it's funny. We know somebody who could really answer this question. Don't we, Danielle? Yeah, we had to call on the big guns. We have a special guest today. We do. Podcast engineer extraordinaire, um, host of the Purrcast, See Jurassic Right, and many, many other things. Stephen Ray Morris is here to help us with this answer. Yay! I'm so honored to <laughs> join for this historical question. 
before we yes I, I i love jurassic park and i have a lot of thoughts but i, I honestly wanted to ask you both what does it what does the boyfriend mean by historical as a film genre i was like is it saving to me historical is like saving private ryan so yeah, I i'm with you like I, I instantly go to like war movies and grandpa stuff grandma stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah to me yeah i I would definitely agree historical means something that happened in our history that's being recreated for a movie i mean there's nothing to say that jurassic park wasn't real in the summer of 1993 (laughs) right or is that just my childhood or is that just my childhood longing and nostalgia kicking in I think that's that's your your childhood dream, but it, but look, a lot of people buy islands. We don't know what they're doing on them. Well, I I love the idea that there's maybe this. You know, it's like if you met a person in high school that believed in Santa Claus. Still, it's sort of like that <laughs> idea where it's almost like maybe this person just was saw Jurassic Park as a kid once, thought it was a documentary, maybe confused <laughs> it with the. There's a great James Earl Jones hosted uh, behind the scenes of Jurassic Park that he did mm-hmm. in the 90s. And I think somebody like that with that kind of gravitas, you're like, well, it must be real. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking, yeah, like maybe he's basing this off the idea that dinosaurs were real and therefore oh, it's yeah. a historical thing. But even that is a is not great. Like, I mean, it is a fiction you like. You've seen this movie how many times? Just out of curiosity. I mean, I probably used to watch it every day when I was a kid growing up on, you know, VHS. So probably like a hundred times. Yeah. And you host, you currently host a podcast about it. So I really feel like you're the most qualified person. What What is your take on it being a historical movie? I mean, what well, do you consider it to be? It's funny because I feel like that is the actual larger question is like, what is I want to know what else this boyfriend believes in. But <laughs> but, but I think the point of the, the the actual point of the question, this person who took the time, an amazing listener listens to the show, wanted to, you know, has a really interesting, you know, question about, you know, because that's the thing we are, you know, it's. Uh, I don't know when this comes out, but like tis the season die hard. Is it a Christmas movie? Eyes wide shut Christmas movie. Like there's always that thing of like, is Jurassic Park a horror movie? Because it like it doesn't have some would say like to me, it doesn't necessarily have all the things that would qualify it as a straight horror movie. But then also like some of the most memorable moments of it are horror. So wouldn't that wouldn't wouldn't you put it in there if it's like, well, 50 percent of it is horror or, you know, is it like decidedly not a kid's food film? But it's it definitely has kids in it and it empowers those kids in a way that feels like realistic and not quite horror in a way like it's almost, it's like an action adventure. Like I've always considered it an action adventure movie or yeah. a science fiction movie. It's right. like historical to me would be like science fiction without the science part or almost or something like you know like showing real things but also like i I love that you're like it might be a kid's movie because there's kids in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i guess it's i guess because it's like you know i think growing up a lot of people were like you know oh it's like steven spielberg never kills the kids or whatever Um, right so i think that's why some like why i probably disqualified it as horror but i think yeah I'm in the camp now where it's like I would say it's horror because the horror elements are what stick with you. I'm I'm ag- I'm in agreement, but I also I kind of feel like it veers towards sci-fi. No, no, I, it I has agree too. such a like a an unbelievable premise that needs all of this explanation to 
like fully get a snare. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, it's kind of sci-fi to take the, you know, the the lump of amber and the extraction and like that is like some something that somebody would think of if they were creating a new planet, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that to me, it, it almost that's where like that to me, it comes in a conflict with calling it an action adventure movie, because I think if you just jumped it like it's not like Indiana Jones needed any explaining like to me, Jurassic Park has had such an impact is because there's an edutainment element. There's like literally a cartoon film that explains how DNA works. And, you know, so I think that's why to me, I've always never wanted to call it a horror movie because it has so much of it. It's almost like sequences from the movie, the Raptors in the kitchen, the road sequence, that stuff to me feels like horror. Yeah, this is. Oh, my God, this is so interesting because because the more we keep talking about it, the more I keep thinking, OK, what actually is it now? Like that was <laughs> it's just spanning so many genres, not just the from the original question, but now it's just my mind is racing. The very first couple of years that I worked at TCM, I did a lot of like metadata work, which is basically going into movies and setting genres and run times wow. and all this stuff. And I was so I'm always in these databases, even to this day, I'm in these databases and, and I'm always looking at the genres of films. And I always feel like the biggest difference between an adventure movie and a horror movie based on like what we've deemed it, I guess, is that the scares from an adventure movie come from like rocks and water and like, you know, like <laughs> the natural world, maybe. <laughs> or there's like some kind of like tiger fight or like something like it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the old school, like Errol Flynn. There, there's yeah, swords yeah. or something like that. And then a horror movie, come the, the scares come from creatures like. Not necessarily. Well, that's not true because some like Jaws is a horror movie. So and and but it's a different thing. I think it's more about like how rugged are the individuals that are <laughs> fighting. I mean, that, there's a lot that's of khaki in Jurassic Park, though. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that's actually that's I mean, that's in really. And then is there and now are we getting into historical here where is it's part of a lineage of like universal monsters and that sort of thing. And also Steven Spielberg also did Jaws, like you're saying, you know, yeah. so it's like, I don't know this. I wonder how they're doing this couple. Are we just ruling out French New Wave? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I think I saw like a slightly sad, pensive Velociraptor. Then it's in that in. Movie. Well, you know, it's, you know, they're all tired from running, so they're breathless. So that makes sense. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yes. Yes. You are hired uh, for making that joke. <laughs> Jean-Luc Godard, Jurassic Park jokes. I feel like that's your audience would love is, is this is the only time I get to make that joke is on this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I <gasps> my it's so funny because I went from thinking that this husband was ridiculous to now being like is he on to something here i, I was judging and now i'm like walking <laughs> back to it it's crazy i know i want to know like what their arguments are like because i feel like they're both holding firm to their positions but the more you talk about it the more murky it gets shannon if you could tell us what, what, what resolutions do you have in your relationship like how do other arguments or disagreements usually work out because maybe that'll help us figure this one out right well I, and i like how and i wonder if they have what their notions of what the genre like it's like speaking the same language like what is what is your definition of a horror movie what is your definition of a 
you know, um, biopic or something like that. You know, it's I think that's what what makes this discussion so interesting, because, yeah, it's like I feel like I can't even agree on like what a horror movie necessarily is. And then I love I've never thought of adventure movies versus horror as like the the level of ruggedness that they because you're right, because it's like because also disaster movies, it's almost like those are adventure movies, but with less rugged heroes or something like that or some. Well, other than the rock and that earthquake movie from a couple of years ago. But yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I honestly think the only way to solve it is to have Steven Spielberg come on this podcast and yeah. <laughs> answer it since he's he's doing he's doing so much. He's spanning so many genres. He's making us, you know, really kind of question what this movie is and who and what it could be. Well, exactly. And also, like, even if we can't figure out what genre it goes in, I feel like we at least owe it to to Shannon to figure out, is this a historical movie or not? I'm going to say no, just because dinosaurs and humans didn't exist together at all. And I hope that maybe this has prompted her to ask her her, uh, partner if he thinks this. (laughs) Like, if he thinks is like, oh, no, there was a time when dinosaurs and humans were together. You're like, oh, no. And you just like Homer Simpson out of there. Like, <laughs> so oh find God. out what your fiance thinks is real so you can nope out before the wedding or not. And honestly, if 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 she doesn't mind, I would love to like open this up. So if you ha- if you have an opinion, you should email us. I saw what he did pod at gmail.com because honestly, like I'm curious. I want to hear arguments. Bring it. I mean, this could be the question of the year. <laughs> well, well, also, it's the- like. To me, I also think of like, what would this movie because both James Cameron and Tim Burton were trying to get the rights to do this movie. And like Tim Burton ended up doing Mars Attacks instead of Dinosaur Attacks because of how successful Jurassic Park was. So it's like there's all those kind of, you know, what if kind of scenarios as well, too. Oh, James Cameron would have made the woman's story so tragic and awful and it would have just been all... (laughs) Actually, I won't finish that sentence because I don't want to get sued. But, <laughs> but just imagining this this film in the hands of another director and if that would change the genre yeah. is an interesting thought. Because I don't think Tim Burton, I don't think of him when I think of action adventure or I think of him for sci-fi for some of his movies, but it's mostly like absurdist comedy stuff. Just like an under, misunderstood velociraptor who keeps trying to wrap presents and it's not going very well. I would love to see John Waters take a crack at Jurassic Park, to be yes. honest. <laughs> is how my mind works but well thank you Stephen, for for <laughs> weighing in on this i'm so glad that you decided to come on and and shed some light on on this question no i i'm so honored to be on and that was a real thinker so what was the what was the person who asked it again shannon shannon yeah thank you shannon you've all now i'm gonna go off on a friday night and just be like you know hello darkness my old friend like i'm just so like i'm gonna rewatch jurassic park with new eyes you know so you have to watch it while you're sitting in a room with like a bear bulb feeling and and i'm actually i'm sure people know where to find you but if if you want to tell people where to find the podcast and everything just see jurassic right sjr pod on twitter see jurassic right on instagram and then yeah just search see jurassic right and it's right there and uh, we interviewed the little volunteer kid uh, this amazing actor, Whit Hertford, I had him on the podcast just a few months ago. Uh, so people should check that out if you want some inside, you know, directing Spielberg, you know, fr- from from Spielberg and all that stuff from the movie itself. So, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen, for both being our first ever guest 
and someone who could help us parse through that email. (laughs) Yes, thank you. It does not segue into our movies at all, but we're (laughs) going to try to make it work because we got some movies for you. What is our theme this week, Danielle? Our theme this week is From Beneath You, It Devours. Okay. First of all, I got to say, you you named it, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> well, also, that is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize. <laughs> uh, because I was like, there's no way I would have written some awesome shit like that. No, I'm not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying that you are that cool. Now I'm just now I'm just finding out that it was actually from Buffy. But guess what? I'm I'm actually the stupidest. So that's as long as we get that straight. Um, <laughs> well, let's explain. Well, let's explain this, because I think that we were tickled by the concept of this, but also like it maybe it comes from like a, a fear well, or something. What, what are your what's your take? Yeah, I think it comes from a collective childhood trauma because. Almost every there's so many movies from the 80s where there's monsters living either beneath a city, in a sewer, in your toilet. Like there's just it was a fear, a legitimate fear that a lot of us had that we were going to be sucked in to underground somewhere. Yes. And I have to say, I, I think that we need to make a distinction here. This is not about stuff in the water. So this is not like Jaws. This is not like, you know, Deep Blue Sea or some shit like that. This is subterranean horror this is this is like okay i guess if you want to get down to brass tacks jaws is technically below the earth because it's below sea level but no this is what we're talking about is stuff from under the ground under the earth right like under a civilization yeah exactly and you don't know what's there and it's about to fuck your life up (laughs) well and and i have to tell you i had some trouble with this theme because the first three movies that I selected when I, when we were planning out this theme were not available to stream. And, you know, as we have talked about on this podcast, we want to try to make things viewable for people. It is fun to talk about movies that are like obscure and hard to find, but you know, if nobody can watch it, it's a pain in the ass. And you know, we don't want to necessarily make that problem for you. But I have to say the first movie that came to mind was alligator. And I mean, probably one of the biggest ones and it's nowhere to be found on the internet. Then I was like, huh, what about the Boogans? That's a great one. Yeah. Let me think about that one. That one's not available. And then the third one was this movie called The Pit, which at the time that I was doing the research is actually not available, but now might be like, I think I just Googled it again randomly, like two days ago, and it might be on Amazon, but you have to have like a subscription to like Shutter or like one of those premium channels. But I was like, it was to the point where I was like, is this some deep state shit about like censoring creatures under the ground movies or something like i was like is this my conspiracy theory what's going on here no it's a legit conspiracy theory because what probably happened is everyone who grew up watching these is now our age and it's like let's shut this shit down we are not going to (laughs) traumatize our children the way we were traumatized no boogans no alligator (laughs) take it off the shelves permanently (laughs) it's like i had spent too many sleepless nights hovering over my toilet Mm -mm. wondering if like a king cobra was coming out of there never again folks never tell you how many showers i've taken waiting for something to crawl up out of a drain and just go to town 
on those ankles and feet. <laughs> you were going to have a TSS style <laughs> rash that was due to a underground monster that traveled through the sewer systems and is now chilling in your shower. Um, excuse me, doctor. Um, I have this rash. I think it could be TSS, but it was definitely because a sucker from a tentacle came out of my shower and just like slapped me on the leg. So it might be TSS. It might not. But can you just like take a look at it? <laughs> the only way to find out is to jackhammer. Just to just to find out. It's either this or that. Oh, God. Uh, I agree. I think that I think as we've seen with so many other horror movies, like stuff like psycho i mean just like Mm -hmm. the bathroom is always it's like the most vulnerable place to be yep there's so many of these types of movies that deal with bathroom stuff bathroom traumas so it's like yeah of course we'd be terrified of this but also just the idea of there's like a whole other civilization or like some other kind of thing that's happening beneath what we're doing up here and that is something that we don't know about until some crazy shit goes down. And that's scary. That's exactly. just a scary thing, right? Oh, and I, I have a fact from when we get to my movie that is going to terrify you. Oh, my God. A real life fact. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. I'm actually very excited we're doing this. <laughs> As you couldn't tell, at the end of last week, like I was like, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to do this. And we weren't going to tell anybody what it was, obviously. but. We could not contain ourselves. We've been talking about it all week, so. We really can't. Well, you're, you're first. Let's, let's start it off. Okay, so for my movie this week, for the theme, From Beneath You, It Devours, it's a movie from 1990. It's called Graveyard Shift, directed by Ralph S. Singleton. Stephen King invites you to venture deep inside the caverns below the old Bachman Mill. You're not thinking about going down in there. Where a secret lies long forgotten by any living soul. First off, right off the bat, Danielle, I got a question for you. Are you a Stephen King fan? You know, I am. I am because he was he was like our horror dude. You know, like I know he crosses generations and he had Carrie and Christine and a whole bunch of stuff in the 70s. But no one freaked us out like Stephen King freaked us out when we were kids. And I just really have an appreciation for that. And I read his book on writing and I just really like his his whole steez. Again, I'm not on Twitter very often, so I don't know if he's been popping off on there. I don't know if he's like, you know, he's in QAnon. I have no idea. I, I don't think so. But... <laughs> but I do like his writing. But I'm prepared to throw those books in the fireplace if he's popping off right now. I really do like his books. And I remember vividly like just in the summertime, there was nothing better than like getting a Stephen King book and like a bag of ice pops or something and just spending a whole day freaking yourself out. He found so many different ways to freak us out. I appreciated it. Well, good. That's good to know, because I got to say, first of all, he was a big part of my childhood, too. I think if you're a certain age, he probably was. Um, but I was kind of more of a fan of like the film adaptations mm-hmm. than I was of the books. And that's sad. The only one that I actually read was The Shining. Oof. And that's only because I actually took this entire class in grad school about The Shining. And 
because of that, I read the book like 8,000 times, yeah. but it was like the only time that I ever read one of his books. And I just have to say that class was the best. That sounds it awesome. was so great. I have to shout out the professor that taught it. It's uh, Dr. Jennifer Barker. She's like one of my favorite professors in grad school. That shining class at GSU was great. But anyway, so yeah, I, I think that I have not been the best Stephen King fan. I've only really enjoyed the film adaptations. Like I've probably seen the first Pet Cemetery movie like probably a hundred times. Oh, and yeah. that's not an exaggeration. I mean, talk about right? generational trauma. Zelda totally fucking fuck off forever. <laughs> okay. My sister and I, we go from zero to a hundred real quick anytime Zelda gets mentioned. I think that like if you interview like 10 people our age, like at least nine of them are going, Zelda, Zelda, Zelda is the worst. Totally. Scariest shit. Gage, Zelda, yeah. round them all up. That movie was terrifying. <laughs> and I think it's okay to have come to Stephen King or only have watched his movies because they did such great adaptations of his books. Yeah, and there were just a lot of them. And, they've, and they spanned a lot of years, like you said, with Carrie and, and The Shining and that kind of stuff. But then, like, you know, there was all these, like, little ones, including like the one I'm going to talk about today, but you know, and then of course now there's stuff like stranger things and there's like the new it movies that are just kind of playing up for that nostalgia. Right. And I just feel like if you're a certain age, you really kind of grew up with this kind of stuff. And I have to tell you, Oh my God. Speaking of terrifying, there was this television commercial that used to come on in the early nineties. That was about the Stephen King book collection. Yeah terrified the living fuck out of me i will find it because i googled it like a couple months ago let's we find post it, it on our instagram because it. it is the music alone i'm like what are you trying to do that and it's got that like chilling narrator guy that's like witness the horror of stephen <laughs> king get the stand for 795 and then it gives you that really like scary like mail order address at the end i mean i'm just like yo oh, and they play that shit like literally every day after school <laughs> right like during like fucking cartoons and shit and i'm just like dude i'm gonna have a heart attack okay i'm 12 years old and i'm gonna have a heart attack Can I not just watch animaniacs please yeah stop this scary ass commercial for these books um having said any of that so Graveyard Shift was one of the ones that I actually, I barely remember seeing it as a kid. Like I saw it, but I got to tell you, I didn't rem remember a lot of it mm -hmm. when I rewatched it. I actually think it holds up pretty well. Yeah. Like it's, it's scary and it's gory as fuck, which I, I guess must have forgotten. But I got to say too, I was kind of pleased and maybe I'm just kind of making my own um, connections here, but it kind of has this like, cause it came out in 1990 and it kind of has this like slight twin peaks vibe. I don't know if you ever watched the original twin yeah. peaks. If you're a fan of that, it's got that like mill town vibe. Yes, exactly. And the mill from this, I think is 100% like an ACE hotel. Now they didn't change a single thing about the interior. They just like put ACE hotel on the top. Oh my God. That tracks, that tracks completely. <laughs> Yeah, I know that that Twin Peaks and this movie, it, it's around the same time. So maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. They're they're both basically about like a small town in, in the corners of our country. You know, they has plenty of small town weirdos. There's the mill, you know, tons of like psychotic dudes running around. And even I even noticed this, like 
the female lead of Graveyard Shift, who is not Marissa Tomei. <laughs> Did you think it was Marissa to Tomei? <laughs> I totally thought it was for about 10 seconds. And then I was like, nope, that's not Marissa Tomei. Oh, no. But even the woman who isn't Marissa Tomei, she kind of even has like the Donna Audrey haircut. Right. I was just like, man, this is very Twin Peaksy. I'm sure there's no connection whatsoever, but except for time, that's all. Time and the fact that Milltowns are kind of inherently creepy. <laughs> yeah, they kind of all are Twin Peaks. I say that having lived in one, it's a little creepy. <laughs> I'm sure you have firsthand knowledge. Um <laughs> But when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of people didn't really like this movie when it came out. And Stephen King himself hated it and thought it was one of his worst film adaptations. And, and you know, that's interesting. The director, Ralph Singleton, this was his only movie. And I think he was like primarily a TV director. So, you know, he had only made this one movie. And then there was a lot of the cast. It's so interesting. The cast was kind of like who I would consider kind of these more obscure actors, like one of the lead actors in the movie, the main lead actor. Um, I knew him from like Nightmare on Elm Street and like this other like obscure movie called Cherry 2000. And then the guy who plays Warwick, I didn't recognize him at all. And then I Googled him and I was like, apparently he's the dad of the guy from that show Suits. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then I'm just like, you know, falling down this rabbit hole of information. But I will say that I am a... I'm a huge fan of the guy who plays the exterminator. Yeah. Brad Dorif. I mean, he's he's a king. I mean, he was the voice of Chucky and he was on Deadwood and he was in the film adaptation of Wise Blood. So it's like he is awesome. He's in Lord of the Rings. He was in Lord of the Rings. And any time that I have seen him in a movie, he was generally playing some kind of real scumbag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he plays us kind of a scumbag in this one. Just like, I mean, we might have to do it all the way up. On I him, was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> just going to say that all the way. And he's playing this exterminator because it's like this mill is run, run down with rats, but he treats it like he's going to war. It's very over the top. It's very old all the way yeah. up. He's he's all the way up in a lot of a lot of shit. So that's I mean, we must do an episode on him one day. So to give a little synopsis of this movie. So it's obviously centered around this like mill town in Maine and this cotton or textile mill is run by this absolute maniac. I mean, psycho rockabilly guy. Look, named Warwick, which reminded me of you. I mean, of course. Thank you. And also, (laughs) also, just the name, just the name. name. If your boss has a heavy bag in the corner of his office and you don't work at a gym, get out of there. Just run. Just run. (laughs) He is so fucking intense. And also, I am truly the last person to really know about this because this is not my corner of the world, as we've talked about. But this accent that he had. Okay. I was so confused. Throughout. I'm like, are you from England? Are you from Arkansas? And how do you get an accent that mixes those two? Well, to be honest, I was like, I figured it was like some weird kind of like Annie Prue shipping news kind of thing. Where I was like, <laughs> is it Scottish and Canadian? Like, is am I? No, I think he was trying to do like a main accent, but it does not sound like that. <laughs> 
want anything like that. Yeah, I it's so funny you mentioned that. I that is like one of the only places in America that I haven't been. And I've always been super fascinated with it. I've always wanted to go. I now have like a couple friends that moved <gasps> there because of the pandemic. And I'm like, all right, it's my shot. I'm going to Maine. You gotta go. It's just this part of the world I've never You would love been. it. Portland especially, I think you'd love. Well, I wasn't sure if people up there talked like this. No. I was like, what's okay. <laughs> now that I know that, I'm like, no okay. one in Maine <laughs> sounds like they were born in Scotland and raised <laughs> in fucking <laughs> in like El Paso. By way of like Boston. I was I was very yeah. confused. But uh that's good to know. So this mill that he runs is fucking completely dangerous, right? And it's basically been condemned <laughs> because it's like top to bottom infested with rats okay and when i tell you this isn't some just like we have a rat problem this is the kind of thing where like people can't get anything done <laughs> without stepping on rats it okay. is to the point where you come into your job expecting to see a line of rats on whatever machinery and it does not even phase you <laughs> to have a line of rats just checking you out being like what's up bro exactly they are fucking everywhere <laughs> and listen i don't know where they found all these rat actors to be in this movie because they look like they're acting in a menacing way oh completely there's that one i was like mm, i want to ask you like which which rat are you are you the rat that like casually is into the bloodied up cotton ball just eating that or are you like the <laughs> chomping on a cigarette rat like these rats are trained to do some stuff i've never seen <laughs> i swear to god they should have all been nominated for like some kind of screen actors guild award because they were like the part at the beginning where they're like lined up on the top of that wall i was like damn oh, no. these are good acting ass rats man they had like facial expressions it was wild. <laughs> they looked mean like one of them but the weirdest thing is that one of them looked okay like he was chill but then the next one would look super fucking mean and i'm like how does that work out like oh no, oh, no. and they are fucking professionals i feel it i feel it i want to know who, who trained you who trained you <laughs> was it pizza rat and, is it like a lineage what's going on here <laughs> like the guy in suits like, his dad was in graveyard shift and your dad was in graveyard shift but you're a pizza rat they're like the great like the barrymores the houston's you know it's like this lineage of oh, rat God. actors right <laughs> um oh my god i couldn't get over that shit but let me just tell you though in this mill Okay, everyone working in this mill, that's a human, not a rat, a human is fucking miserable. They're sweating, covered in filth. They're always sweating away a rat. That's like a normal thing for them. That's just like part of the job. And there is not one regulator or union person in sight. This is all happening. And somehow this Warwick character is like he keeps it open and he uses this kind he's like this maniac drill sergeant type and he's keeping all these people working there and he might be a ghost because he just pops up behind people like that yeah, is his he's mo like he's like somebody will be like hmm i wonder why this is red and then you turn and there's warwick it's red because blood is the color of the future <laughs> like, damn dude it's like 
don't you have an office to fucking jerk off in right now why are you behind me like this is fucking crazy like, take it on your heavy bag man don't come down here and like we're already on edge because of the rats yeah you got to make it worse by just being a fucking silent creep <laughs> it's just madness right and so like eventually a guy comes to town his name is John Hall. He's like a mysterious drifter. Uh, and he takes a job at the mill and Warwick makes him work the dreaded graveyard shift where he has to literally sit in front of a terrifying cotton picker. Okay. And maybe it's cause I grew up, if you grew up like in the South or maybe somewhere rural, you might've seen one of these in a museum or some shit, but like, holy shit, these things look fucking crazy. They look like people eating machines complete. And they're always run by like one lever or one button. And you're like, how can yeah. one lever do this much damage? <laughs> yeah. So terrifying. And like, basically, this guy has to work the graveyard shift. We have to, he has to sit in front of this thing. And by the way, where a guy has already mysteriously died by it. Yep. I'll have you know. That happens in the first like five, ten minutes of the movie. So John Hall fends off the rats with like a slingshot and cans of Diet Pepsi. Okay. And I have to tell you, I don't know if this is actual fact, but this movie was definitely sponsored by Diet Pepsi. Am I right? Oh, completely. I mean, they made sure the label was facing out with every shot. Like, there was no random disgrace. Like, you know it's Diet Pepsi because you can see the label in every shot. Yeah. Some Diet Pepsi executive came down and said, this Diet Pepsi must be the MacGuffin of this film. Or else. I mean, it was crazy how many fucking... Clearly play shots of Diet Pepsi. And it was the old can, too, right? Yep. The old. It was like one step before Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. It was like or one step between Crystal Pepsi and with a can we have now. <laughs> it was the choice. It was still the choice of a new generation. But so basically what ends up happening is that Warwick assembles this crew of workers, including this guy, to go to. OK, this is madness. To go clean up the basement of the mill, which is somehow even worse than what they're doing on the ground floor, right? Oh, you want, you <laughs> thought it was bad up here. How about if we make everything soaking wet? Because that's the basement. And we will literally put things like rats will be in literally every orifice that you come across. <laughs> if it's a rolling top desk, fuck it. We're going to put like 25 rats in there. Like they're just your life is hell on Earth. and. So basically, once they go down, the movie becomes kind of a mix of like the thing and alien because they figure out that there's some kind of creature down there that's killing people who have worked in the mill. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a spoiler or anything, but I got to be honest, I'm not certain what the creature was. I mean, even after they revealed it. <laughs> I mean, look at that thing dead in the eye. I couldn't tell you what it was. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, exactly. It looked like a rat but also a giant bat. So it was like a rat bat, a giant rat bat. <laughs> I guarantee, I guarantee that was the process. What's this monster going to be? Um, a bat, a rat. Let's make it a rat bat. Let's make it a rat bat. Like that was giant the rat bat folks. <laughs> Could not agree more. Yes. It, it was, and it was like the thing where it was like, cause at first I thought it was like, you know, the king rat but then it was like no it's got these wings yeah and then it, and then the other rats i feel like it feeds the other normal rats human blood or some shit like well here's my question because you've got this monster living underneath this mill that is infested with rats 
Would you not eat the rats? Someone help me with that logic. Why would you turn the rats into your little blood minions and not just eat them? Yeah, I just you you would think that they would explain this a little bit better in this movie. It didn't really come together for me. No. I'm still very unclear of what this monster did, what it is. So, but as you can imagine, all hell breaks loose when the giant rat bat starts chasing everybody and starts killing them. And, you know, to me, I got to say, it's fine. Like, it's fine when the rat bat kills like the shitty redneck guys. But of course, I was like, here I am again. I'm pissed off on behalf of the only black character <laughs> who was bullied at his job for the entirety of his screen time. He was sprayed by a fucking fire hose by a scary, like psychotic MAGA guy. And then he got eaten by the rat bat. Like, come on people. And he got eaten off screen. You don't even get the dignity of seeing him get eaten. It's just like his little legs getting sucked into a hole. You put your hand through the hole. And the next thing you know, rat bat. It's crazy, but that's it. Like, I'm like, all right, no love for this guy. The the physics of this rat bat continue to astound me because how is it hanging out in like holes, but also it's hanging out in like lakes? Like, I don't (laughs) I need to know so much more about the rat bat. And the thing was, too, when they all went down into the basement, of course, it turns it. It's like the like the part of Goonies where you're like, oh, there's like an entire world down here where like mountains and like mm-hmm. waterfalls can exist. <laughs> like, where the fuck are we? Right. And then it's like the rat bat. Is he the king of this space? It looks like Indiana Jones down here. There's tons of skulls. There's tons of fucking weird things. Is anybody going to pop up? You know how they do in movies where like somebody pops up and goes. It's usually an old guy. And he's like, actually, this land was condemned <laughs> from 10,000 years ago by a group of some. None, there's no fucking old wise guy from the local university that explains what the fuck this is. Who's down there? That was when I thought, OK, this movie could have been made better. Right. But, you know, it's still terrifying to go down into the basement of your workplace and find out that there's a ginormous rat bat with skulls like just oh, everywhere a kingdom of bones down there like bones so so deep you can use them as weapons you can use them as like blanket like it was just so many missing persons that you think the town would take notice <laughs> yeah there was it was like literally like it was a pompeii-esque type of historical site down there where it was like no one knew this existed i mean i know that there's a creature down here that's killing people it like killing people but certainly somebody had something and we never know and we never know what happens after unfortunately and that's that's the the brilliance of horror movies sometimes that you're just sort of like we're just going to leave it dangling and then you're just going to have to be fucking terrified for the rest of your childhood. And that'll be it. It's a wrap. No resolution. Good luck. But anyway, I got to tell you, I love this movie, even though this movie is disgusting and confusing <laughs> so gross. and terrifying. 
I still weirdly want to visit Maine. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. Beyond this, like beyond the rat bat and beyond the skulls, I still think Maine is a lovely place. It is and a I'd gorgeous love to place. go sometime. I say go and just <laughs> genuinely never go into a basement. You'll be fine. It is a beautiful place. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked this movie because this is the weirdest thing that could have come from underground to eat anybody. Like the, the the fact that there's no backstory adds to the mystery of what and how and huh? Like it just makes it very easy to just get into the gore. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that kind of like respects the game of not describing this at all uh, because that is like a trope of horror movies when it comes to like supernatural or when it comes to like things like creatures you know they always have to have their like let's educate the viewers about what this could be with like said old person you know or like whoever that is like somebody knows the science behind it but this movie is like fuck it we're just gonna like put you in the basement with these maniac redneck people and you're just gonna have to come along for the ride Figure so, it out. um i love it yeah my movie for from beneath you it devours is chud which was released in 1984 and directed by douglas cheek duncan cheek <laughs> beneath the city of new york are living catacombs an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead at the top! And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... <laughs> they're coming up. Chud! This movie, this movie, this movie. Okay, let me just look before we get into it. I gotta say, <laughs> there's a thing that happens when you're a child and you love a movie, which is that you don't always pay attention to the plot of the movie. You just remember like the fun or gory or scary stuff. That is 100% what happened to me with this movie. So, Chud stands for cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller and the synopsis is basically that the government is just like storing radiation under the west village in new york city and a bunch of unhoused people go who live down there get turned into these cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers and then they use the sewer to like terrorize the city and you know what good for them but <laughs> i forgot the humanoid part <laughs> was about unhoused people. So I just have to preface this by saying, I know that this movie from 1984 is not sensitive towards the unhoused population. I almost switched it with something else. Um, but the way to have an experience with this movie is that you have to root for the chuds. You have to root for the chuds, which is very easy yeah. to do because there's not a single redeemable quality in any of the other characters in this movie combined. So if you root for the chuds, which I do and did as a kid, I was like, why I got to mess with the chuds? And I'm not going to like, you know, give it some revisionist history. I wasn't like a woke toddler, but I liked saying chud. <laughs> so I wanted to see Who more chuds. It really is. I mean, it really rolls off the tongue. Chud. Chud. Chud, chud, chud. So I'm just saying like, you got to root for the chuds. Keep that in mind while you're watching. and. I think you're going to have a great 
experience with this movie. And then let's look at some of the characters that we have in this movie. So John Hurd is playing George Cooper. Daniel Stern is playing A.J. Shepard. Um, George Cooper is a real prick of a photographer. And Daniel Stern is a very try-hard um, soup kitchen cook. And you will recognize both of them as not just great 80s dads, but they were both in the movie Home Alone. John Hurd was the dad. Daniel Stern was one of the burglars. Uh, Kim Grice is Laura Daniels. She was in, you know, Manhunter, Throw Mama from the Train, a bunch of great 80s stuff. Uh, and Christopher Curry as Captain Bosch. He's a police captain. And then you have Bosch. Bosch. Bosch and Chud. Yeah. Bosch. Bosch. I mean, it was like they said Bosch about 100 times. Like 500 in that movie. times. Never going to forget Bosch. Ooh. And then you have a very young John Goodman in one of his first movies. So, again, this movie... Full of pricks. You got the photographer. We're basically opening on his ass pimple popping girlfriend. You've got this over the top <laughs> police captain. And then you have Daniel Stern, who's just trying really hard to be a good guy. <laughs> so oh we God. open this story at the top. It's like kind of a too long scene in the beginning of this woman walking her dog and then she gets sucked in underground. I just have to say off the top, there are just some really stunning chud moments before you ever get to see the full monster. Um, my favorite being a little girl watching from a phone booth as her grandfather gets dragged by a chud and the camera stays with her just long enough that you can see the full effect of the trauma spreading out before her for the rest of her life. Like it just kind of lingers on her trauma for a moment. So AJ, Daniel Stern, is kind of the only one who's worried about what he refers to as undergrounders. And Everyone in this movie refers to this part of the unhoused population as undergrounders with such nonchalance that I actually have to. This is the fact that might scare you. Um, I, it made me want to make sure people know that there are people that live underneath New York City. They're called the mole people. Yeah. It's estimated that about 60,000 people live in the abandoned subway tunnels and sewer systems beneath the city. Um, there was a book by Jennifer Toth and from 1993 that's called The Mole People, Life in the Tunnels Beneath New York City. But it's kind of an unverified account, and there are a lot of factual errors. And there's also a uh, documentary that came out in the year 2000 called Dark Days. So this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a chicken and an egg. Like what came first, yeah. the mole people or did they see Chud? Yeah. So... People living underground and, you know what, again, doing their fucking best with what's been handed to them, which is a pile of radiation. So we eventually find out that the woman in the beginning who went missing is the captain's wife. But don't worry, he's the police captain. So he works not only through her disappearance, but he continues to work after he discovers her severed head on the banks of the Hudson. Right. Like this guy is just like. I'm pushing through. I'm going to power through with a cigarette and a scotch. He turned it on and off somehow. Like he's able to like flip it like a switch because I would have been like, you know what? I'm taking some leave. I need, I need to bounce immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. Like this is the thing that's set up is that they're the kind of government entity that dropped this radiation is trying to cover it up. And then the Chuds are having an uprising at the same time. And it all comes to a head where it's like they want to kill the Chuds. They want to gas them out. Right. Here are some beats of this movie that I want to discuss. First of all, I now realize that everything makes me miss New York City, even Chuds. <laughs> everything <laughs> makes me miss New York City. It's just the fact at this point. 
I saw a Chud on Lafayette and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, Chud's on Lafayette. I mean, you know what? Some of the stuff that comes back, like the stuff that scared you about New York will eventually be the thing that makes you come crawling home, baby. Very like- heartwarming. <laughs> Very heartwarming. And we might have to dig into this a little bit deeper because I'm going to say this and I'm going to say something else. But what was up with that yuppie guy who ate the quarter out of the payphone? What movie was I watching at that point? That was so bizarre. So weird. I was like, what? What is this? Does this mean something that I don't know about? Yeah, he's like some yuppie villain who just like eats coin. I don't understand. I did not understand that beat. And I'm like, you know what? There's enough going on with the cannibals. So like, why don't we just focus on that instead of this dude? But this is the other thing. When we do finally get to to see the chuds, we're underground. Dan, you know, AJ's locked down there. George is locked down there. Everyone's locked in the sewers at this point, except for the, the ask pimple girlfriend. The chud hive looks cool as hell like when we finally see them in full yes they definitely have like glowing eyes and razor sharp teeth but they're like stretching their arms towards the sky like they're in a sound bath or like they're just doing (laughs) yoga and chilling (laughs) they're making the best of a bad situation they do not need this shit they got their little jumpsuits on like i don't know where they got their uniforms but they got them And it's like that classic story of like, we were fine down here. We just need to eat people every once in a while. And you have plenty of horrible people to offer trust. We're sorry that we had to start with our own you know, population, but maybe we can work something out. We'll come up every once in a while, grab some grandpas and keep chudding down here. And now you guys are just trying to gas us out. They looked fucking cool as hell. I wanted them to make it. I mean, I, I'll say this. If we could just simply sacrifice all of the shitty photographers who are ambivalent about having children with their girlfriends that's fine let's talk about in order that. for them to live we can give them these arrogant photographers i am so down with that it would be like the lottery but like chud style <laughs> like we're gonna pick. okay i had to i have to say too about the john hurd character the one thing that i could not stop looking at were his teeth <laughs> and i was like they would never let a lead actor of a fucking famous movie, like not even famous. I would say even if it was like some television movie that was on a really small, tight budget, they never let famous people have normal teeth nope. these days. So when you watch old movies and you're like, yo, that guy's teeth are pretty mossy. <laughs> How the fuck? And he's the lead. He's the most famous guy in this movie. That shit is crazy. And he's acted the wildest. He's wilded out more than anyone. (laughs) He's drawn more attention to himself than than even the Chuds. I could talk about that character all day long. He was the worst. There was not an iota, not an ounce of myself that wanted him to win anything. I didn't want him to have a family. I didn't want him to have a good job. Because he kind of like, he switches from being this like fashion photographer to being like an investigative photographer. So he's friends with some of the unhoused people who are underground because he's like done a photo documentary series with them. But then he treats everyone like such fucking pricks. that I'm like, why? What is this? Yeah. I didn't like him at all. Yeah, it was hard to say. And like, the other thing too is that this is, Truly because of the times that we're living in, I have a feeling. But like Chud made me realize the whole plot line that happens in a lot of these like disaster movies and horror movies that involves failures of governments and also just sort of like corrupt 
business people in tandem with the governments of a town or a city or a country is too triggering for me. Yeah. Like I'm sitting here going like the Daniel Stern character goes into the the meeting with his like his bag of evidence Geiger meter and his actually I thought it was a uh, cast. I was like, yeah, why is he carrying around like a cast? I didn't realize that it was supposed to have been part of some uniform. And they're just like, they're shutting the shit down. They're like, it's a cover up, motherfuckers. Like, there's no way we can not pour radiation underneath the city and create chuds. We even have a file yeah. that says chud. We know it's happening. Like, we've been to court and they've told us we can't put this radiation here, but we already did. So <laughs> I am like, oh, this is where it begins. This is where the indoctrination into being a conspiracy theorist begins. When you watch movies like this and you're like, I fucking knew they're radiating people down there. I knew it. Nobody can do anything about it. God damn it. They're going to literally just put all the cars over all the manholes and gas out this shit. And no one's going to be any of the wiser. And I was just sitting here going like, Man, this is too much. Like, I'm like, it's the same thing that happens. You know, you want to talk about Jaws or something. It's like that failure of a mayor or a government to do the right thing. I'm like, I can't. This is too much. Like, can I ever watch these movies again? And they're so cavalier because it's like, well, you can't gas. You can't put gas down there. Like, there's people down there. And he's like, eh. so we lose a few. And it's like, what? I'm like, no, that drives me up a wall. When it's like, yeah, we can lose a few. Like, it's fine. And then it's like, Bosh. Bosh. Bosh and Daniel Stern are just running around trying to make shit right. And it's not happening for them. And I just, it's so, it stresses me the fuck out now. And I hate that it stresses me out now, but it does. But that's the world we live in. And look, I wanted the Chuds to win. If you're worried about the story of the Chuds continuing, there is a movie called Chud 2, Bud the Chud. <laughs> There's a sequel. Came out in 1989. I have sadly not seen Chud 2, but the Chud. Me either. I think we should make a night out of it. Let's do a watch party. I have yeah, got to know. We should do a watch party. I've got to know, because they clearly didn't get the Chuds. <laughs> Who's coming back for Bud the Chud? I, I'm, I'm curious. And who is so. Bud the Chud? Who's Bud? How's that? Tell me more about him. Maybe it's one of those... Uh, you know, the thing that happens with gremlins like that. Now there's just like some charismatic chud that's like real sarcastic. You know, one's dressed up like a lady. One's dressed up like a yeah. carnival barker. <laughs> it's like when it's like when Freddy the Krueger, Freddy the Krueger. I'm sorry. Uh, we're le no, we're leaving it. Oh, fuck you. It's like when Freddy Krueger. Went from being like a legit terrifying to then just being like a stand up. Like right. he just started telling like all these like jokes. Like he he has fucking bars. And I'm just sort of like, this is what Bud the Chud is. When Bud the Chud is Chucky, Freddy the Krueger, and Spike all wrapped up into one. When Freddy Krueger got a tight five together, I was like, I'm out. He's got a tight five and dance moves and like... What is this? This is not the Freddy Krueger I know. This is not the terrifying child molester who was burned by all the parents in the neighborhood. Give me that, now, he's on Letterman. You know, he's like fucking chilling. Like, <laughs> yeah, the chud. I just I really love this movie. And it's got like, again, like these these quintessential like New York moments to me. You kind of worry at one point that, that a kid's going to get eaten but then i don't know i think chuds have morals like they kind of stayed away from the kid and the pregnant lady a little bit 
But what I love, there's this one scene after George and Laura move in, the lady who lives downstairs is like, oh, are you the new tenants? And she's like, yeah. She's like, you live in the studio? They're like, yeah, just for a little while, figuring it out. And she's like, oh, okay. That lady 100% went back into her house and called the landlord. She's a total narc. And you know how I know? Because I'm a narc. Because I want to say the same thing. Like, I don't know who these young people are moving up in the studio and subletting this shit illegally. But they got to go. I love it. Yeah. I love seeing those little like narc, like those little New York moments or city moments even. Just like, look, a narc's going to recognize a narc. I am not. But when it comes to the place I live, we're not having like the Airbnb apartment and the party apartment. Like, no, I ain't doing that. I was like, I don't need these young modern people to come up with their swords and put their swords as decorative elements in their apartment. They got a hot plate up there. Like, (laughs) is that shit up to code? Like, what's up with this? I need to know what's going on here. Are they burning candles up there? (laughs) What is happening? He's got like a dark room. Tons of chemicals. He's got a dark room Uh -uh. up there filled with chemicals over the bedroom where this little kid sleeps. Like, I'm calling the landlord immediately. Again, I had a lot of fun watching this and rooting for the chuds from the top. Like, that made me feel really good. And it brought back a lot of childhood glee. Um, And I think, you know, these movies have a tendency to, like, help with the moral compass a little bit when you're a kid. I think this I feel like this is I sound like my grandma now but I think this was a good movie to watch as a kid (laughs) well no it's like I'm so glad that you started off with kind of reorienting us with the like you know the idea that it was made in a certain time and treats people in a different way because you did such a good job with that And also with balancing the fact that this movie has truly stupid moments, like oh. there's just stupid, bad movie moments, uh, which is so fucking funny. I love this is this has happened in so many action movies where a, a character gets blown the fuck away, like shot 500 times through the chest and brain. No <laughs> fucking, you know, gets hit by a car, like whatever is annihilated. Oh, my gosh. And somebody assumes that they've died. And then five minutes later, they pop up with like both thumbs in the air. Like, hey, (laughs) nice shot, man. Like, I'm just like, what? (laughs) Like you got shot in the intestines. I saw it happen. (laughs) The bullet went in and like directed itself around your body like a pinball machine. What are you still doing talking to me? And he was just in the sewer, which means he's got he's literally sitting there with septic shock <gasps> bleeding out of a bullet hole that definitely went through the center of his body and then is somehow like i'm here to give you you know like nice job Thumbs up. like cool guy like i was like holy shit this movie <laughs> oh my god i love that shit it's so dumb it's so dumb this is like perfect movie to watch if you just want to watch something so that does not take itself seriously at all like it is gorgeous in that way but oh my god the 80s were terrible and wonderful in so many ways and the vibe is definitely just don't go beneath anything that you're standing on just for just on gp whatever you find on there is not good completely i mean it's kind of the way that like i don't follow any bodega cat instagrams Like, you know, they're just kind of like the bodega cats of Instagram, because 
what people don't realize, I think, most of the time is that, yes, the cats are cute, but the cats are there to bare knuckle box the rats that are crawling through that building. (laughs) They are on duty. They are not pets. And I don't need to be walking into my bodega thinking about rats right off the bat because you have three cute ass cats patrolling the building. They are making it, you know, a place for us to get our things without vomiting all over the place. So exactly. So, you know, just keep underground underground. I'm cool with it. I don't ever feel like I need like I've never gone spelunking. (laughs) I don't feel like anything good is coming from me going beneath the earth for any reason. Listen, I I went to Rock City once when I was like in my 20s and I was nervous the entire time. I'm like, I'm just walking through a rock. I don't even think I'm below anything and I'm just freaking the fuck out. Too much can happen. That rock that's that's dangling in the at LACMA, like over the walkway. (laughs) Looks cool till there's a fucking earthquake. Yeah. And then it is literally Indiana Jones. (laughs) Fuck that shit. I'm out. Well, we have a treat. Mm, I think we have a treat. Sure do. Is it a treat? Oh, so I want. So this is something that I thought was super interesting. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that the Oscars are not in February this year? I read that they're in April. I think so because of the pandemic, right? Which is so strange because it's like you know where I work, we do a lot with Oscar month. And so I'm so used to seeing it in February. And then on top of that, I'm you know how you have that ramp up to the Oscars where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's like, see the movies before that, you know, it's like, this is going to happen. Like you got to go watch all of the Oscar nominated stuff. And I didn't feel that this year. No. And I'm like, the balance has been upset and I don't know what's going on. And then I realized, oh, because the Oscars are in April. Right. Because I'm a member of the Writers Guild, we start getting screeners usually like right before the end of December. And I've only gotten like two or three and they're for movies that are already on Netflix. So I'm like, what? I I already hate when they do that. But I'm like, is that all I'm getting this year? <laughs> and also, yeah. but it's happening in April. So maybe I'll get more screeners. I don't know. But I'm also curious too. like, do you have any idea like who like it doesn't feel like there was anything going on but the pandemic for the past year that right. I'm like, who would even be nominated for a performance? Like who is around to be an act like a best yeah. actor right now? Like I can't, I can't even imagine. I can't. E- what movies came out? Yeah. Like <laughs> no, but who is po- politicking to be the Oscar winning lead actor? I guess I, I don't know. It feels so no weird clue. to not have Oscars. Yeah, I know. It feels it feels very strange. And I, I, you know, I like watching Oscars with people and, you know, even if we're not doing like the big party, you know, it's something to, that, to talk about. It's like a shared event that like it or not, we all kind of tend to participate in. Um, out of curiosity. So does your grandma like care about that kind of stuff? Does she care about the Oscars at all? I, I'm assuming not because she's like into horror movies, but who knows? I don't know. Oh, she's got opinions about the Oscars. <laughs> she treats the Oscars like she watches football as well. She treats it like a sport. Football, tennis. <laughs> she pays attention to every even if she hasn't seen the movie, she has her opinions of who she likes. And that's enough for her. Like she gets a vibe. And she's like, all right, I'll be I'd be okay if they won. And I'm like, have you seen this movie? No. But I like <laughs> that dress. Or I like that shoe. Or I like the way that I like that clip. Like she didn't take any shit from anybody. I want her to win. Treats it like a sport. But that's truly how it it comes down to sometimes. Like to me, it's just sort of like, yeah, we can talk all we want about like the performance and like the art and all that stuff. But really it does come down to like, like at least in our minds, we're like 
it's the shoe it's the gloves it's the swag it's the it's the the face it's the attitude it's the like the interviews like yeah are you a real human being who can portray something but she has opinions i was very lucky um i guess it's six or seven years ago now to catch some of those opinions on tape uh this is back around the time when uh lay miz came out and uh you got it folks we're bringing my grandma back yes play it right now i'm dying to hear it who are you trying to tell me about? I don't know what his name. I can't think of it. I'm old. I lose my thought. But how would you describe them? Good looking. <laughs> okay, they're good looking. He is good looking. He was in this picture where all these people that were from that could do weird things and stuff. They were good people, but they were in this. He usually has those nails that come out, the, the, the steel nails that come out when he's in. <laughs> Wolverine? Who? Wolverine? Yes. Hugh Jackman? What's, yeah, that's him. So he should be nominated for an Oscar. And uh, what's his name? The other one, Russell. Russell Crowe? Yes. For what? Same picture. What was the movie? Lame Israel. It Lady just Israel. came out, yeah. And that is a good story. If the picture is as good as they say, that is a good picture. I agree. It was really good. Because when I was younger, I saw it, you know, or, or read the story or they did it in a movie. I loved it. You want to go see it? No, nah, I don't have to go see it. But the guy with the steel nails... Yeah, he's in that <laughs> Isn't that? And they come flying out when he <laughs> Look, 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 look. They come flying out the nails when he's mad. <laughs> oh, I think he's good looking. And Russell Crowe, too. And this is all musical, you know, yeah. picture. They sing. They sing live. They say uh, Russell Crowe holds his own when he sings. <laughs> He sounds like a frog. Did you see it? Yeah. Was it good? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think? Uh, I, I Jackman? Think, I think Hugh Jackman should win. Oh, yeah. I like him. Your grandma is amazing. I was just like, <laughs> I know it's been a while since we've had her on, but like, oh my God. Anytime she drops in is gold. Look, I try. Thank, thank you for sharing that with us. That's so awesome. I am so happy to do so. We'll bring her back again. I mean, like I said, the, the the opinions are nonstop. I try to be I'm trying to be sensitive now to like, you know, she's 88. She gets tired quicker. Always want to keep it ethical. But she is a maniac. I just have to let the tape roll. And I do. And I'm going to be so grateful to have this in 10 years. But I'm really excited to have it now. Oh, my God. We love her so much. Well, I think that concludes another episode. Um this was so fun this week. I was so happy to have Steven and have grandma and, and just talk about these hilarious movies. Um, do you want to give the listeners the movies for next week? Yes. You're going to have to guess the theme, but the movies are Ganja and Hess from 1973 and Losing Ground from 1982. Ooh. And listen, our socials are great. If you're not following us on Instagram and Twitter, you are truly missing out. So follow us. Continue the conversation over there. I tend to be on Instagram more than Twitter. I can't say we that either of us are super into Twitter right now. No. 
but Taryn is definitely there. Yes. Um, but also, too, we're, we're definitely posting that Stephen King commercial just because my pain is your pain, bitch. Oh, yeah. Like, this is what's going to happen. We're sharing this. We're sharing the trauma. This is how yeah. we heal. <laughs> it is how we heal. Well, follow us at I Saw Pod um, on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us your theme ideas, not your movie suggestions, but your theme ideas at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank we you. We love you. Watch your ass when you're on the toilet. Watch. Things of that nature. Watch your ass is how we're ending every show. <laughs> See you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>this has been an exactly right production our producer is lauren elizabeth brown our engineer is annalise nelson our social media assistant is taryn mazza our theme songs by tom bryfogel artwork by garrett ross our executive producers are georgia hardstark karen kilgareth and danielle kramer you can follow us on instagram and twitter at i saw pod and as always please listen subscribe and leave us a review on apple Podcasts, stitcher or wherever you listen 